0: welcome to episode 21 of words with writers podcast
1: this podcast is brought to you by canadian authors association toronto branch we are a membership-based organization for writers in all levels areas and genres of the
0: writing profession
1: we are your hosts brandy tanner
0: and chris gorman on today's episode we're going to talk about our latest favorite books have a special introduction to one of our favorite contests. Hear a recording from author Christine Bergsma at our latest open mic night and speak with author Lana Guzman, who's going to read to us an excerpt from The Unusual Lives Subjugation.
1: That's right, Chris. I'm so excited to get into our conversations. But before we do that, We do want to let everyone know about two exciting things. So first, we still have 10 books to give away from our paused two-year anniversary celebration. So that is going to start up again real soon. And second, we've heard from several of you how excited you are for our Choose Your Own Adventure Storytelling Series We just need one more month to cross our T's and dot our I's on that one, though. But in our March episode, we will put on our best storyteller voices and read to you the opening paragraph of three completely different stories.
0: Yeah. And then you, our listeners, are going to vote on social media or email for which one you want us to write. So... In seasons one and two of Words with Writers, we would pick a couple of our favorite upcoming contests each month and tell you about them. But to make room for our Choose Your Own Adventure and Question of the Month, instead of doing that, all the contests we know about are now listed under Resources for Writers on our website at CanadianAuthors.org.
1: Yeah, and there are some really great ones coming up, so do take a chance to take a look and uh, see what your opportunities are this month, and future months, for that matter. And having said that, I think it's time to get cozy, get comfy, and hear from our special guests.
0: Our first guest today is none other than Svetlana Macerina Herrera-Guzman, who writes under the pen name Lana Guzman. Lana holds a Master of Business Administration degree from HEC Montreal, Bachelor of Business Administration degree from The Hague University of Applied Sciences in the Netherlands, Specialist in Finance and Bachelor of Economics degrees from Russian Plekhanov University of Economics in Moscow, Russia. She worked for multinationals and a startup doing market research and business development. For the past 11 years, she has been doing applied business and academic research in a number of diverse fields. Lana writes full-length professional books and short fiction. She translates from and to English, Spanish, German, Dutch, and Russian. Welcome to the show, Lana.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much, Chris. I am thank you for, for the introduction.
1: Yes, hi, Lana. It's so nice to have you. Uh, you are a fairly newer member to Canadian Authors Association, and you were just also at our open mic night. So you've become very engaged already. We're we're so happy to have you with
2: us. Yes, uh, thank you very much, Brenda. I'm very happy to participate in this kind of events.
1: <laughs> Wonderful. Well. If you'd like you can just launch right into what you're reading from and give us your reading today.
2: Yes. Um my um, novel is called The Unusual Lives uh, Subjugation. Uh this is the fourth novel uh from the um this is the fourth novel in the series that's called Well, The Unusual Lives. And uh, this series is devoted to a lifetime of a person. So each short novel is about a single person. It follows them from their birth to their death. And each novel is devoted to a woman or to a man. So this particular one, uh, subjugation, this is devoted to a woman. And the previous three, I had the woman and then a man and a woman and a man. So this one, uh, I'm going to read a small excerpt. Uh, This is chapter five. It's called A Worn Out Woman Facing Her Loneliness. And it goes like this. Gina decided to spend some time on her own first, just to be able to enjoy the peace and quiet of being finally alone for the first time in over half a century. Only the loneliness quickly caught up with her. It was a feeling she never quite understood, as pretty much everyone around her was either hostile or indifferent. Still, among the hostiles and indifferent people, she felt some kind of comfort, as if she were not a dying species. She had no one to talk to, no one to yell at, no one to complain to, and the voices were bothering her even more. For the first time in her life, she was afraid of ending up in the same psychiatric facility where her mother spent so many years. She was determined not to repeat her mother's fate at any cost. One day on her way from work, Gina came across a newly built pet store. It was a very large place, full of so many varieties of different animals. She got to see fish, reptiles, birds, and all the kind different kinds of mammals that anyone could keep as a pet in an apartment or a house. Gina did not feel much affection to the reptiles, as they were mostly keeping to themselves in their cages or aquarium or another kind of habitat. She then went to see fish, which interested her women less. Yes, they were nice to look at, but again, they were keeping to themselves. There was not going to be much interaction there. She then looked at all the different birds. Parrots caught her eye, and she felt that parrots could be an acceptable alternative to keep her company. She bought two parrots, one dark blue and one light blue. Whether they were both male, both female, or a male and a female was unknown. Gina did not mind the gender and bought, bought a large cage for the two birds home. Somehow, she never thought of buying any food for them. She only remembered to get them some water because the water was already provided for them. The parrots had a short lifespan. Gina would forget to change their water on a daily basis, often leaving them without any water at all. She would barely ever clean their cage. Somehow, she never even considered to buy them food until a neighbor asked her for an advice on parrot food, as they too wanted to adopt a couple of parrots. Gina finally remembered to purchase some food for the parrots and to at least occasionally give it to them. Despite the misery, the parrots were relatively happy with their new home or at least it seemed so. The parrot survived for probably a year. Gina woke up one morning to find one parrot dead on the floor, with the other parrot sitting gloomy on one of the perches as far away from the cadaver as possible. The other parrot died within less than 24 hours after the first one. Gina was unmoved by any of it and just threw the birds and the cage out. She was alone once again. Ginny kept walking by that pet store every day on her way back from work. She kept thinking of adopting another pet, only she was still shocked by her parents' death. As much as she thought, she felt nothing towards those creatures. The feeling that she somehow failed in providing even the very basic care to those animals to survive did not leave her. She kept brushing it aside, but the voices in her head kept telling her that she was responsible. To try and keep the voices in her head quiet, she changed her route to avoid walking by the pet store on a daily basis. That seemed to work to keep the voices in her head down, but it did not solve the problem of her loneliness. She needed the company, that of humans or of animals. So she went to the store again. This time, she was after a mammal. She got herself a very young cat that she brought home holding it in a piece of soft cloth. Somehow, she did not bother to buy a pet care. Again, Gina did not buy any food, nor any accessories for the pet. She fed the cat some fish leftovers from the previous day. Having eaten a bit, the cat started roaming the apartment to Gina's huge discomfort. She decided to have the pet confined to a single room, but they did not work since the cat had already hidden somewhere. Gina left the cat be and rather quickly forgot about it altogether. The cat eventually walked out of its hideout, so Gina who tried to grab it and run away again. Gina spent the whole day chasing the cat until the cat urinated in the middle of the hallway. The unfortunate cat's owner had enough. She opened the front door of her apartment and let the cat walk out of the apartment into the stairwell. Once the cat was out, Gina slammed the door behind the cat that got so frightened by the noise that it ran as quickly as it could down the stairs. Gina never saw the cat again. It was a second disaster, and Gina still learned nothing. Instead, she went to the store, adopted another cat, and ended up throwing that cat out within a matter of a couple of days. That cat disappeared to be never seen again, just like the previous one. Gina then went to the store and adopted a large parrot. The parrot lived for a couple of months and died. This time, it was not Gina's fault, though. Apparently, the parrot was sick at the time that she adopted it. Once the parrot was gone, Gina contracted a very bad flu that left her bedridden for over a month, with a high fever for the most part of that month. As soon as Gina recovered, she decided to never bring any pets to her home again. By the time Gina was approximately 60 years of age, she was divorced and lonely. Her ex-husband was living on his own and she was not in contact with him for what would be almost a decade by then. Her sons moved out and only directed the word to Gina on some holidays. They barely ever went to visit her. Apparently, none of her family knew anything about her animal adventures. She never wanted to share either. More than anything, Gina was tired. She was worn out mentally and physically, and most of all, she did not want any company anymore. Not that of the humans, not that of animals. The faith, however, had other plans.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much, Lana.
2: Yeah, that was that was
1: wonderful. I there were a couple lines in there where you're talking about loneliness. And earlier on, one line said, No one to talk to, no one to yell at. <laughs> and I really like that because it shows that loneliness isn't just about the good moments right? We have bad moments with our people too. And that's a part of the loneliness, you don't get any of those moments. So I thought that was really
2: well put. <laughs> Thank you.
0: And you, you said this was the fourth novel in the Unusual Lives series?
2: Yes, yes, it is. Uh, the first one is called The Unusual Lives, a victimizer. Uh, the second one is The Unusual Lives, a fooler. The third one is The Unusual Lives, uh, an Doer. And the fourth one is the unusual life's uh, subjugation. Nice.
0: I was uh, I was looking at the evildoer earlier and thought it looked uh, quite interesting and fascinating. So, where uh, where do you get your inspiration from?
2: Um, life, pretty much. It's interesting. Well, the whole uh, point of this collection and why I even started it uh, was to explore how people evolve over their lifetimes what they start with and what they end up with and what happens in the middle and the way each of these novel is structured is to show how certain things certain events in people's lives make or shape their lives they are born into something and then their parents of course bring them up by, and they very much influence how their life is going to be But then people grow up and it's completely up to them what they do with it. But then those factors, something happens and it changes everything that they thought they would be doing in their lives. For example, in the first novel, A Victimizer, uh, this is a woman that was born in a village. Then she ends up uh, in a city and she tries to break away from everything that she knew in the village. And she wasn't very wanted by her parents, by her whole extended family so she breaks it off completely with her family and then she tries to have a completely different uh, life in the city now she gets married and then she uh, gets widowed but what she grew up into what education so to say she got from her parents that persisted over her lifetime no matter what she tried to change and she didn't try to change very much and some things that happened over her lifetime they just made her from a victim into a victimizer and then it had something similar happens to the fuller the man is born into much better conditions and he grows up in a nice family and everything is okay but then there is an event in his life he takes a very bad decision that actually changes his life so much that he leaves and only comes back decades later, and everything else in his life is uh, defined by that bad decision that he made. And then he drifts a lot, and in the drifting, he keeps making bad decisions, and then it just spirals down. And he never tries to correct it. Then in the evil door it's uh, something similar. The man is born into very into a pretty rich family, even. But he eventually tries to. He grows up. He tries to uh, get some independence from his parents, but then at the same time he's so much caught up in what has already been planned out for him. So his company is pretty much uh, pretty much decides everything that is going to happen in his life, no matter what he does or how he does it is the company who decides what is going to happen, where he is going to be working, where he's going to be living, who he's going to marry and how his life is going to evolve. So he is trapped in that. And this is actually a good life. It's not a bad life. It's just that he doesn't want to be trapped. So his only liberty is to drink and gamble and do things that he doesn't, not that he doesn't really want to do them, but he's got very little liberty, so he tries to get as much uh, as possible that he can get out of that liberty. But since he's so enclosed, he tries to enclose other people. So he starts abusing women over his lifetime. He starts to entrap them the very same way that he's entrapped. The difference is that he's provided for, for his whole life, and then those women he's abusing, they're not provided for So he actually is trying to make their life miserable, just like his own life is. Mm. There is a feeling that his life is miserable. And then in the subjugation, it's again a pretty different story. The girl is born into very harsh conditions. And she grows up with some relatives and she gets uh, abused by those relatives. And then she finally... Not that she escapes, she gets pretty much thrown out of their household and back to her mother, who doesn't want her. And that defines her whole lifetime. She gets into that spiral that she actually is abused all the time, all the time. Wherever she ends up working, wherever she ends up living, she's just a perpetual uh, spiral of abuse. This is why I call it subjugation. She's permanently subjugated and as much as she's trying, even though she's not trying very much, but what little she's trying to change about it, she can't change it and it just keeps spiraling down. So it's probably each one of those novels is the character's capacity or maybe incapacity to influence their life in a sufficiently thrown manner to actually Spin out of what has already been prepared for them by their parents, relatives, by their immediate environment, or just by uh, chance, they just can't spin out of it. They just stay there and things that happen to them, willingly, unwillingly, they just keep them within that circle.
1: Wow, so so each each novel in the series is its own in-depth character portrait. That's a really interesting idea. Do you have more planned for the the series?
2: Yes, I am. Uh, I have started writing the fifth one. Uh, this one is about the man, because I already have uh, two women, two men, so not a man. And uh, well, that one is also a completely my different approach. Well, I'm just ideating the whole uh, thing right now, so I can't uh, say much about that one. But uh, I'm trying each character, I'm trying to imagine the character in a very different uh, situation. Uh, Someone born in a village, someone born in a city, someone born in um, some remote place, uh, someone born into luxuries, uh, someone born into... Uh, Middle-class conditions, someone born into luxury, someone born into harsh conditions, someone born into awful conditions. And then imagine how people can strive, if they even want to strive, how they uh, uh, try to make the best of what they have, or maybe not. Not everybody wants to improve their conditions, just like an evildoer. He is not trying to improve his conditions, he is trying to get some liberty, which you never get
1: so yeah you'll definitely have to let us know when uh the fifth one is coming out in the series so we can learn more about your next character
2: oh yes yes i I absolutely will
0: (laughs) awesome and i'm gonna i'm gonna take a read of uh would you recommend reading them in order or can you pick up anyone
2: uh it's pretty much um in any order they are not Related in any way uh, to each other, so it really depends what uh, what you're interested in.
0: Okay, and I'm I'm looking at the website right now, but maybe for our listeners, could you let them know where they can buy your books?
2: Uh it's well. Right now, we only offer them on uh, our website. It's uh, Noble Gray Press one word, dot ml, and the readers can buy them uh, straight off our website. We offer, uh, this is short fiction, so we offer them in uh, ebook and PDF formats only for the moment.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Lana.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much for being here today, Lana. And we can't wait
2: to hear about your next series. Thank you very much, Brandy and Chris. Thank you. Thank you.
0: we <laughs> will talk to you soon.
2: Yes, thank you. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Well, another great reading from one of our members. That was wonderful. Thank you for being on the show, Lana. So before we get to our next live guest in quotation marks, because we are on Zoom, (laughs) we do have a reading from Christine Bergsma, who wanted to be here with us today, but we all just have busy schedules. So instead, we're going to have an amazing excerpt from her reading at Toronto's latest open mic night. So settle in and here we go.
2: Okay, our next reader is Christine Bergsma. After working in the script reading industry in Hollywood, she set her sights on the self-improvement market where she authored and co-authored internationally recognized guided journals. Her love of emotional narrative translated into award-winning short films and the completion of two self-published novels. Christine has won numerous national and international awards for writing. She's a professional member of the CAA, And always learning, Christine completed her Master Copywriting Certificate at AWAI, which is American Writers and Artists Institute. A love for all things natural and organic, Christine is on the board of the Waterloo Horticultural Society. As a novelist, she loves to write women's fiction, historical fiction, and just for fun, a few coming-of-age novels. Christine?
3: Thank you so much. So I will be reading from Ace of Cups. And it is a short one as well (laughs) so journal entry south africa august 1998 she really did it i've always wondered what it must be like that moment before you pull the trigger or kick the chair from under your feet would you feel like the world is actually better off without you what circumstances must lead you to see no other way out people have survived concentration camps in World Wars, and those in the British camps in the Boer Wars of 1899. I don't know how it must feel to decide that this life is not worth living, or that the decisions that you've made up to this point have been towards your own self-destruction. Every year, around the great 12 final exam results, star students die from suicide. The pressure to perform outweigh the promise of what's to come after. I attended a talk about this once and they handed out mugs with the inscription 24 in fake gold lettering. I still have it in my closet and I'm not going to use it until I actually need it. It actually just meant that any decision you make that could be life altering can wait 24 hours. Had my friend waited 24 hours, perhaps I could have told her that my life is better because she was in it, that things will get better, that two days from now she might feel completely different. Did I really know that for sure, though? Would her life actually be better after 24 hours? Would things actually turn around so quickly that she would feel completely different? Rumors continuously circulate after such an incident that kids do it to seek attention. I've always cringed at that notion. I've heard over and over again that it's not those who are left behind's fault, that mental illness is a disease, but that still doesn't make the guilt and I could have done more thoughts any easier. Sometimes I wish that life came with a better manual on navigating the hurricanes and earthquakes of everyday existence journal entry December 1998. It's the first holiday that our family would be spending without her. I didn't go to the funeral because they said it would be too traumatic. They only told us the week after it happened that she hung herself outside in the yard and her brother found her the next day. What would have gone through his mind? Another slightly disturbing thing happened today. I read in the newspaper about a girl who had to stay home because she wasn't feeling well. Her parents had to work and she was left by herself. She was also 16. Criminals broke into her house, raped her, cut off her right hand before or after they shot her in the chest and left her to bleed out. The newspaper reported it in gruesome detail next to the increases in farm murders. My friend was a sensitive, beautiful artist, and she asked me once why I smiled even though I had braces. I said that I didn't mind having them, and it didn't affect how I saw myself. Her home was similar to mine in kinship, and I wondered if she saw herself in every new report, every crime, and decided that she'd rather be in control of her life and death than leave it to chance. I wanted to go to the movies tonight, but they warned us at school that people who have been infected with the virus place needles with blood carrying AIDS inside the theater cushions. So in only four more years, I can immigrate somewhere else. Because if I'm frank with myself, I can't see a way forward or a way out. Maybe attending the funeral wouldn't have been so traumatic after all. Thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you very much for reading. You have
2: a very uh, lovely voice, I have to say.
1: And now we have our last special guest for the day, Robert Mackey. We've had Bob on the show before. He's an award-winning author of Terror on the Alert and Soldier of the Horse, former naval officer, submariner, teacher, and lawyer. But this month, Bob isn't here to talk to us about his writing so much. He's actually here to talk to us about the Whistler Independent Book Awards. So, Bob, what can you tell us about the Webas?
4: <laughs> well, the, the Webas, I think, are a, a great institution. Uh, they've been running for some years now uh, under the direction of a couple of ladies that run a, an organization called uh, Vivilog. And by means of agreement with uh, Vivilog and Webas, the Canadian Authors Association gets to nominate or have volunteers come forward to review entered books.
0: When you say nominate, does that mean that we might get chosen to be?
4: <laughs> the way you get chosen is you volunteer.
0: Okay, good.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the the great thing about the Weavers is it's uh, Whistler Independent Book Awards, meaning that, of course, it's wide open to self-published and beginning writers and so on. So if you have a book out, Uh, You can get it in there as far as a contest goes. One of the attractions for members of the Canadian Authors Association to uh, volunteer for being reviewers is uh, that they get to read one or two or as many as three uh, Canadian brand new books uh, in their genre uh, so that they can see what other people are writing, which is always good. Uh, and also that uh, uh, they can get themselves listed as a reviewer uh, on the WebA uh, website uh, once the process is finished.
0: How and many I've, reviewers are we looking for, Bob?
4: Well, last year, we had about uh, 65 reviewers. In the very first year, there were 15 reviewers, so that shows you how the uh, that WEBAs have uh, progressed uh, bigger and better every year. And I don't know uh, yet how many of those roughly 65 will be coming back uh, as volunteer reviewers again. I expect most of them because that's what tends to happen uh, year after year. But we can always use more because some of those reviewers are uh, perhaps a little stretched uh, given three books to review It'd be probably better if everybody just had two and not three. Uh, the number of books, uh, I think last year, was around 170. So we'll wow. have to see what the WEBA organization comes up with this year. We'll be asking Canadian authors, members who have been reviewers, to indicate their, their uh, willingness to go ahead, uh, probably uh, in early March. And depending how many come back, uh, we'll certainly be looking for more volunteers. There's, there's no doubt we'll mo- uh, more
0: volunteers. This is one of uh, Canada's only independent book awards, right? Uh, I
4: believe it is. Yeah. And the prizes are significant. They have quite a series of presentations and so on. And it all gets uh, run in conjunction with the uh, Whistler uh, Writers Festival in the fall.
1: So right now for our members, there's opportunities for them to be reviewers. But I think you're also kind of looking for maybe a little assistance in your coordinator role.
4: I was, um, but, you know, as I get into it, I start to see what my predecessor, Carol Toolbar, uh meant here. Um, it's almost a one-person job. Um so far, it's taken me virtually no time, um, maybe one one or two uh, emails. But as the process goes along, it's fairly well organized already. And so I'm not exactly sure uh, what an assistant could do at this point. What I would like to do is uh, I'll keep close track of all the time I spend on it. If I find I start to get snowed under, I'll certainly ask for help from the uh, my fellow members. And by keeping track of my time, that will show the potential next coordinator that really it's not such a daunting task.
1: Wonderful. So it sounds like, Carol, had you set up well, and you can kind of step into her shoes, which we really appreciate you taking that on.
0: <laughs> well, it's uh,
4: so far, it's my pleasure. We'll see how it goes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So uh, for our listeners, if you're eager to read books and be a reviewer, uh, how can they sign up for that, Bob? Uh, there's
4: a, there will be an invitation in the uh, next communique. Uh, that's That will be out in April, right?
1: So there will be a communique actually just next week. Uh, right. On the, it's the first Wednesday of the month, and there is under breaking news of that. Communique will be a little blurb about the being a reviewer.
4: Right, and uh, after that comes out, uh, I'll be doing uh, with your assistance uh, an email blast out to uh, previous reviewers asking them to sign on again.
2: Excellent,
0: awesome, and for everyone who doesn't want to read books but writes them. This is an excellent opportunity to get into a contest.
4: Absolutely. Yeah, check out the Weba site. It's uh, quite easy to get into it. And they open for business on the 1st of March and closes the end of April. Excellent.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, Bob. Now, before you leave, when we introduced you, we said you weren't here to talk about your writing, which is sort of true because you didn't know you were going to be talking about it today. But before I knew you were going to be on today's show, I happened to pick your novel, Terror on the Alert, for this month's book club segment. Uh, So I was hoping you might stick around and listen to my thoughts on it, and then maybe we can have a short conversation, because it's not very often that I get to speak to the authors of one of my new favorite books. All right, so I picked Terror on the Alert this month, uh, which is by Robert W. Mackey, who is here on the show with us today in an excellent turn of events (laughs) and folks, I'm going to be completely honest here. Bob's novel is amazing. It's set on the eve of the Cuban Missile Crisis, tells the story of a naval lieutenant on board a submarine charged with shadowing Soviet era submarines. And slowly as the story unfolds, you learn more and more about events outside his life in the Navy that have led to him having a near debilitating claustrophobia. So He's trained for years to command a sub and the first time he steps inside one after an unrelated uh, accident he's near paralyzed with fear and has to overcome that while at the same time wondering whether his wife is still going to be waiting for him at home when he returns. While at the same time she's on land wondering the same thing but also wondering if he's even going to make it home which is kind of almost an even worse situation to be in. So I thought the very first sentence of your novel Bob uh, set the tone of the ride that I took it starts with the steel door slammed shut behind him. And it just it kind of grips you from the very first sentence and several times throughout the novel I wondered whether that might be a metaphor and whether each event was a steel door of the main characters previous life slamming shut never to open again kind of felt that way, at times but uh, I thought the book gripped you, pulled you in, certainly gripped me. You used tense language that keeps you turning the page, anxious for more. And it's so vivid that I wasn't just reading the words, I was actually on that submarine, living the experience right there with the crew. So I wanna read just a couple of small examples uh, from the book, give our uh, listeners a sense. Starboard 30, full ahead, both motors. I liked that one. It just sounded so good. And then <laughs> a tremendous crash resounded through the boat as alert lurched and everybody in the control room staggered. A collision at 300 feet. Swish, swish, swish. The rapid lash of high speed propellers came from outside the hull, reaching a crescendo. And in that moment, Ted felt his head was going to explode. In his mind, the submarine was collapsing. The bulkheads closing in blackness roaring over him the whole book is like this folks so you know it's it's amazing well, I,
4: I like to think there's the odd little break though you know, oh yeah absolutely <laughs>
0: <laughs> no there is there is it's a it is it's a nice um up and down but it keeps you going um
1: i have to say bob i i don't know if you have an audiobook version by, if you don't, and we're looking for a narrator. <laughs> Chris I, read that pretty well. Well,
4: I'm real. I'm really impressed. I, I was there too, Chris, as you read. <laughs> <laughs> there
0: you go. Um. So the novel is set during the Cold War, and even though the majority of it takes place in the depths of a submarine, uh, I thought it really exemplified the the real terror and. Uh, of what was happening in the outside world, and it kind of permeated through the whole story. And I felt too that it was it was quite relevant to what's happening today in Ukraine, uh, which maybe helped make it even a little more terrifying today than it would have been had I read it when it first came out. So uh, that was excellent. It really highlighted the psychological pressure that's placed on someone going through the forces on their way to being in a command position looks at how events occur in your life, uh, seemingly completely unconnected, but they all work together to make you the person you are and uh, help you find ways to survive any situation you're in. So my take on Terror on the Alert is if you're a fan of war stories, naval warfare, history, or action and adventure, I highly recommend you pick up Terror on the Alert by Robert W. Mackey. You won't be disappointed.
4: Well, thank you. Uh, Thank you, Chris, very much for those kind words. Uh, Most appreciated, especially in light of the fact that uh, Terror on the Alert has uh, been out there a little while now. So it's always very nice to uh, have something uh, come in uh, in a a blast from the past. So thank you. (laughs) When did you write it? It was published in 2014. So I would have been very involved in the writing in uh, 2012,
0: 2013. Nice. Ten years ago, there you go. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes, by George, you're right. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, good then. It's kind of a little uh, uh, anniversary present. His good review.
4: <laughs> well, and and uh, much appreciated, uh, Chris. Uh, you read that so well. I congratulate you on that. <laughs>
1: Thanks, Bob. Yeah. Do you have any parting words for our audience today?
4: Maybe maybe just a short sentence a sentence or two that kind of follows up on what uh, Chris mentioned about uh, the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis and certain parallels that unfortunately we're all going through right now yeah uh, Chris, it's very interesting uh, your comment about those days in back in the early 1960s and the Cuban Missile Crisis when the uh, Soviet Union and and the Western Powers were facing off the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, uh, Khrushchev, Kennedy. Uh, they were very, very tense times. And uh, as I understand it, uh, uh, we came awfully close to nuclear Armageddon. Uh, there were maybe two or three people that made decisions that saved us from that. And I find it uh, very uh, frightening that uh, today uh, two or three people are probably making decisions that uh, could well be just as momentous. So I'm hoping for the best and I'm counting on the best because uh, virtually every human being wants the best and uh, I hope we all make it.
0: Me too. (laughs)
1: That was well said. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) thanks you
4: guys take care Thank thanks yes
1: thanks for being on the show bob you have a great evening bye bye (laughs) bye
0: all right brandy sorry for jumping ahead like that but i thought with bob on the show anyway it would be a great chance to get some more insight on the novel i uh i think maybe i kind of fanboyed a little bit but (laughs) what can you do um so what book did you uh pick for this month's episode
1: okay so we didn't Actually, even planned to do this, but we both ended up picking books written by CAA members. <laughs> and awesome. maybe, yeah, I, I think that's great. Maybe that's a trend we might continue with uh, because both of our selections were amazing reads. But I chose Don't Lose Sight by Genevieve A. Kornenke, a member of the CAA Toronto branch. An excerpt from the book blurb on the back reads When Genevieve Kornenke escapes a brush with blindness, things never looked better. City pigeons, people, stainless steel pots, but questions about her experience linger. Now, I'm usually more of a fiction gal when it comes to my recreational reading choices, but that's why I picked a non-fiction book, kind of in an effort to broaden my horizons a little bit. And I have to admit, there were times reading this that I got actual shivers from the emotions Genevieve was able to pull from me with her words. I mean, right from the start, she weaves a poetic aura into something as simple as cut red cabbage. When she ends the preface with something happened and then something else and then something more. I knew I would be hooked to her writing style. And Genevieve managed to elicit from me a range of genuine feelings. I was literally on the edge of my seat when she gets sent to urgent care for her ophthalmic emergency in chapter four. (laughs) She is wry and quick witted, but also tender and willing to change her own views throughout her story. And a part of this book that I absolutely adored is the love that is the core of this memoir. Genevieve's husband emerges as a quiet but intrepid hero, and their shared intimacy and love for each other and their son seeps through every page. On top of that, Pace and the editing were excellent, and I truly recommend Don't Lose Sight to any of our listeners. So my take on Don't Lose Sight is even if your genre doesn't tend towards nonfiction, you should give this one a try. It really made me stop and take a breath and think about the little things in life and how wonderful it is just be able to see the colors and the richness and the beauty of everyday life.
0: And this book is it's a memoir, right? Of Genevieve's personal experiences. Yes. Which was a, would a make very it even well written memoir. <laughs> That's uh, that's awesome. I remember having Genevieve on the show and thinking how amazing it would be to read it. So I'm glad you did.
1: Yeah. And I, I think she had given us a reading at that point. So the, she gave us a little teaser then. And I, I sat down and read it just from, I, I read it probably in just like two hours. I, I I barely took a break. I just ate the whole thing up. So yeah, like I said, highly recommend.
0: That's awesome. And uh, I have to say, I'm like super impressed that we both managed to read a book this month. Like we said we would.
1: Uh, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. I actually totally thought that I would be coming on the show and saying, well, Brandy, I I didn't quite make it. (laughs) We did it.
1: Yeah, we did it.
0: (laughs) And uh, we had so much fun with this segment and can't wait to read more of our members books and report back to our listeners. So, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some member news. First up, we have Christopher Caniff's audiobook of Intervals of Hope, published by Blue Denim Press in 2021, is now available. The amazing voice talent of veteran actor David Lane Pusey can be heard as the narrator. See more information and purchase your own copy at IntervalsOfHope.com and Christopher Caniff. Dot com And that's c a n n i f dot com.
1: That's cool. It must be so exciting to have an audio version of your book released. If I ever manage to finish my own book, if I get an audio book released, I'm going to have our very own Christopher Gorman narrate mine because his <laughs> broadcast <laughs> voice is just amazing. So. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's a bit in the future, Chris. So don't don't worry yet. I don't have to worry yet. <laughs> Not quite yet. I gotta okay, finish something first. So <laughs> but in more exciting news, Suzanne Craig Wittock is thrilled to announce the release of her second short story collection at the end of it all by Potters Grove Press on February 7th. And her second novel, The Dome, from Bookland Press, was recently translated and published into Arabic by Arab scientific publishers in Lebanon. So, congratulations, Suzanne.
0: Yeah. And one of our longtime members and loyal podcast listeners, Patrick Connors, has a featured poem entitled Darkness in the current issue of Canadian Stories magazine. His newest chapbook, Worth the Wait, will be released this spring by Cactus Press and launched at Accent Reading Series in Montreal on April 16th. Details for the Toronto launch will be released soon.
1: Ah, That's great, Pat. We've had him on the show before, and I know he always speaks highly of our podcast, so that's great to hear. And lastly, we have Sophie J, who launched her debut paperback, Wildfires, that was released in August 2022 in Canada with HarperCollins, but she launched it at Blackwell's in Oxford, UK on February 25th. She's also proud to announce that the book will finally be coming out in the US in May of 2023.
0: Kudos to all these members. And I must say, it's about time we return to updating our podcast audience with the wonderful things CAA members have been up to, because it's just not the same reading it in an email, Brandy.
1: Right? I know, it's much better to talk about it. <laughs> For sure.
0: So uh, it's time to close the show. But in case you're wondering where our much anticipated question of the month segment disappeared to, you're going to have to tune in next month For the first question
1: that's right chris so listeners please email your writerly quandary to to membership at canadianauthors.org before march 18th for a chance to have it answered on the next show you can use that same email to let us know if you desire to be a featured guest on the show or suggest a book for our book club section okay everyone That's Curtains on episode 21 of Words with Writers podcast. We're so thrilled to be back with you on a monthly basis again, and we will return in March.
0: Bye, Bye, everyone. everyone.